Oh, well. Acts chapter 13 tonight. Um, as I mentioned this morning, it was in the uh, worship guide uh, this morning, be in prayer for our campers. They're well on their way to uh, Silver State Baptist Youth Camp, praying that God will give them a great week on the mountain. Uh, Brother Bill Marshall uh, will be the, the keynote speaker in the morning and in the evening. And then Brother Ben Moore uh, will be doing one of the hillside sessions. And then missionary uh, Dave Disney, a veteran missionary to Chile, uh, will be doing the missionary portion on the hillside. So pray for them, and then pray for Brother Tyler. Um, I think they're going to try to make it to Wichita Falls tonight, and then on down to where they're supposed to be, and he'll be uh, preaching at youth camp all week uh, there in Texas. And I know that uh, he would certainly covet your prayers uh, this week for him, that he would be able uh, to be a blessing uh, to those young people who are there. And then a couple other things that I actually was supposed to ask you to pray about a couple of weeks ago, and I just honestly totally forgot. Um, John Vaught, our church planter in Scottsdale, called and um, just asked me to pass along a couple of prayer requests to you. Um, they've, they've been running um, in the high 80s and low 90s um, for a couple of months now, uh, doing really, really well. And now that summer's hit, they've, uh, they're losing some of the, uh, the families that were coming just due to the fact that some of them don't stay in Scottsdale in the summer. If you've been to Scottsdale in the summer, you understand why they don't stay in Scottsdale in the summer. Um, I would love it. I, I, I'm just not a cold weather guy, so the hotter the better. But anyway, a number of them are leaving, and then a couple of regular families uh, are going to be gone for a couple of months in the summer, and uh, it's going to probably take their attendance down to probably the mid, uh, mid to high 30s. And um, he's just, he's okay with that. He's totally fine with that. He's been there before. Um, obviously, they were there before they got up into the 80s and 90s. He's okay with that. But he's just asking us to pray for him that he would be able to lead the church through that, that the, the church would be okay with that. Um, because some of them may not get it. Uh, well, we're way up here, now we're down here, what's wrong? Something must be wrong in the church or whatever. So just pray that Brother John would have the wisdom to, to guide them through uh, that and, and help them know <clears throat> that everything's fine, that those folks will be back, um, that it's just, it's just part of being a church plan in Scottsdale, Arizona. And then another prayer request that he asked me to pass along to you, which I'm very excited about, is uh, he's praying, and it's, it's their church's prayer, that they would be totally self-supporting by the end of the year. And um, that would be a, a hallelujah. Uh, that would be a blessing to them. Uh, honestly, it would be a blessing to us and our missions budget, be able to free up uh, some money there. And um, so I, I told him I would, would certainly be praying about that. And uh, Brother Alfred actually talked to me a couple of months ago um, about doing that in the middle of the summer. <clears throat> and uh, I told him to uh, just pray about it and, uh, you know, see how things go through the summer. I just don't think the middle of the summer is probably a good time uh, for their sending church to, to cut off their support altogether. And even though they ask us to. And so I ask him to pray about that. So both of our church plants, the one in Oral Valley, just north of Tucson, the one in Scottsdale, are both 
uh, at a place right now where they feel like they're not very far off from being 100% self-supporting. And uh, by the way, that's how church planting is supposed to go. Uh, we help them, we get them along, and then they reach a point where they start walking on their own. And they say, hey, we're good. And uh, so uh, Brother Alfred and them been there about 10 years now, Brother John and Misty uh, about three years now. And uh, so pray about that if you would. I'm not rushing either one of them. And, and I told them, listen, if it happens, fine. If it doesn't, we're here. And we got your back, and, and we always will. And they know that. And, uh, but I think it's good for them to be looking at taking some steps of faith along the way. And both of them have already. And this would be a huge step of faith uh, for them. But in the back of my mind, I'm picturing a dad... Uh, helping their, their child along. They've taken the uh, training wheels off now, and they're learning to ride on their own. When I did that for our kids, as a dad, I was like right there waiting for them. And it'll be no different for this church. Uh, they take the training wheels off, and they want to be self-supported. That's fine. Uh, but in the back of their mind, I want them to know that we'll be right there uh, in case they stumble. And uh, so anyway, pray about that, and I know that uh, they would appreciate that very, very much. Um, let me ask you a question tonight. What are some things that we all have in common? Now, if you have an answer, I want you to raise your hand, and I'm going to call on you. Um, let me get my Bible here. And uh, what are some things that we all have in common, every one of us here tonight? What are some things? Then we were created, every one of us, absolutely. All right, yes, ma'am. Sin, you're right on it. You're exactly right, every one of us. Anybody here without sin? Good call. You're right on it, good. All right, what are some other things that we have in common? All of us here tonight, we have, we have in common. Yes, ma'am. Huh? Child? Trials. Oh, well, okay, good, absolutely. Anybody here never had a trial? All right, good answer. Kind of Jake's over there going, yeah, you're right. I ain't got a child. <laughs> all right, anybody else tonight? What are some things we all have in common? Yes, sir. We're going to die. Absolutely right. Yes, ma'am. We all have a soul. Good, good. What are some other things? Yes, sir. All right, we were all reached by somebody else. Good. All right. Anybody else? What do we have in common? Yes, ma'am. A heavenly father that loves us. A heavenly father that loves us. Good. Good. Somebody else? Some things we have in common. Yes, ma'am. A need to be loved. A need to be loved. Absolutely. Absolutely. Anybody else? What do we have? What do we have in common? Yes, ma'am. We have choices. Absolutely. Absolutely. I had we're all sinners. Got that? We're all created in the image of God. Um, I had this. We all have the opportunity to be saved. Uh, there's nobody without an opportunity uh, to come to know the Lord as their Savior. Um, once we are saved, uh, we all share the same responsibility to go out and tell others about Jesus Christ. That's another thing that we have in common. And here's, here's something else that we all have in common tonight, from the youngest to the oldest, Every one of us in here tonight share this, this same commonality and it's failure. Every one of us have failed. At some point, at some time, in some way, 
we have failed. Now, let me, let me tell you some things about failure. Number one, we all fail. Number two, we all fail often. We don't just fail once or twice or fail here and there. We, in some form or fashion, we've failed a number of times in our lives. And then the third thing that I would say is this. We will all continue to fail until we die. None of us will ever get it right. None of us will ever get it perfect. All of us at some point along the journey, we're going to continue to fail. And you know, I'm sure, that there have been a number of failures in the Bible. I put some of them on the screen for you tonight. For example, Adam failed when he defied the command of God. Moses failed when he disregarded the plan of God. Jonah failed when he disobeyed the word of God. Peter failed when he denied the Son of God. David failed when he defiled the purity of God. John the Baptist failed when he doubted the purpose of God. There's one other very common uh, noted failure recorded for us in the scriptures, and it's found in the book of Acts chapter 13. So if you haven't gotten there yet, please do. Acts chapter 13 as we continue our study of the book of Acts under the title Church Life. And here's what verse 13 says. It'll be our only, uh, only verse from chapter 13 tonight. Acts 13 and verse 13 says this, Now when Paul and his company loosed from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia, and here's what I want you to note, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. We are first introduced to John as John Mark in Acts chapter 12 and verse 12, if you want to look there. And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as we've already studied at this point, Peter had been arrested and he had been uh, put in prison and while he was there awaiting his fate, the people of God were praying. They were praying without ceasing, it says in verse 5 of chapter 12. And then in a miraculous move of God, Peter was set free from his chains. It was in the middle of the night, and he was led safely by an angel out of the prison, and through the courtyard to the gates of the city. And at that point, he entered the city. If you remember the story, he made his way to uh, the house of John Mark and his mother, Mary. Remember, that's the story where he knocks on the door, and, and the gal comes to the door. I think Brother Andrew preached on this in Vacation Bible School she comes to the door, and it's Peter. She doesn't let him in. She doesn't do anything. She just runs back, and Peter's going, I'm just standing out here. 
they find out I'm gone, it's not going to be good. And so she just leaves him out there. But eventually he gets to come in and, and so on and so forth. And so I want to start tonight in, in the life of, of John Mark with his family. Mark's family. You've already noted his mother's name was Mary, one of the many, many Marys um, recorded in the Word of God. And from what we understand about her, she appears to have been a woman of distinction among the early Christians. So I would say this tonight, that Mark enjoyed the atmosphere of a godly home. I believe there are at least two ingredients, and certainly we could name more tonight, but at least two ingredients in a godly family. First of all, it's a place where Christ is real. And what I mean by that is that it's a place where people know that salvation is a personal relationship with Jesus, and it's not just about being religious. And that certainly would have been an important distinction at this point of time in the, in, in, uh, in the, the story of the book of Acts, because even then, um, the Jews were still relying on their own religious ritual to appease the wrath of God. As a matter of fact, Paul put it like this, going about to establish their own righteousness. And this is not what he said, but in essence is what he said. And they're ignoring the righteousness of God. And that would have been exactly the story of, of many in, in this time in the book of Acts. Many Jewish people were still going about with their religious rituals and practices, trying to earn the, the righteousness trying to, to become uh, right before God. And Mary, along with Mark and, and many others, um, who were all first-generation Christians, by the way, came to be Christians by placing their faith and trust in the risen Lord. And then here's the second thing that is true in every godly home. Not only is, is Christ real, but church is regular. Listen to me tonight. You cannot have a true godly home and make church attendance an option. It just doesn't work that way. It's got to be at the center of where you live and what you do. I mentioned verse 5 in Acts chapter 12 a moment ago, but let's take a moment to read it. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison... But prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. So what does this tell us tonight about the home that Mark grew up in? To me, it says church was regular. These folks were meeting in, the, in Mary's home, but they were doing it in a church context. They were doing it as, as, in the capacity of the church. It says that, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And so Mark enjoyed the, the atmosphere of a godly home. But he also enjoyed the advantage of a godly home. And I know sometimes that young people, and obviously they're not here tonight, 
But I, I know sometimes they gripe and they complain about always hearing about Jesus and always hearing about church and always having to go about church and, or go to church and always hearing about the Bible and, and they just hate having to be made to go to church all the time. But listen to me tonight, and some of you can relate to this. Having grown up in a home where none of that was present, there's no Bible no church none of that i'm telling you they have no idea how blessed they are to be able to be raised in a home where church is a big deal where the bible is a big deal where god is a big deal they have no and they're griping about it and then there are people like me and my brother and others out here tonight who never grew up with that and it's like what are you people thinking you kids have absolutely no idea how incredibly blessed you are. They have no idea what kind of heritage they are growing up with. They, they have no appreciation for the gift that God has given them. They seem to be totally clueless as to the godly legacy that they will be able to pass on to their children one day. I'm telling you, if you never had that, and you never grew up with that, and you're like my brother and I, and, and my wife and others, and you're a first-generation Christian, let me tell you something, your view of church is totally different. The opportunity to go, the privilege to go, the opportunity to see your children saved and grow up in the Lord and have children of their own and to watch them raise their children in the Lord coming where we come from. Let me tell you something, that's a big deal. That is a wonderful, tremendous, incredible blessing. That's the kind of home, kind of family that Mark got to be raised in so there's something about mark's family let's let's talk a little bit about mark's faith i would say tonight that it was a saving faith you know it's one thing to be raised in a christian home and some of you know this as well but it's something altogether different to be a christian yourself you got that Having Christian parents doesn't make you a Christian any more than being born in a donut shop makes you an apple fritter. <laughs> or being born in the oven makes you a biscuit. Or being born in the garage makes you a car. No. If you're a Christian, it's because you've entered into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You know my daughter Tiffany's testimony, and, and uh, that year at camp at Sagmont, this time of, of year, and it was like the last night, and she went forward, and she was praying, and, and she was weeping, and, and she was so emotional, and, and I forget even who was dealing with her, but in my heart, I'm thinking, God's calling her to the ministry. She's surrendering to the Lord. God's calling her to the ministry. And I would not have been surprised at that one bit. Any more than I was surprised that Tyler's called to the ministry. If God had called her to the ministry, that would not have surprised me a bit. But she came back and sat down beside me, and she said, Daddy, I just got saved. She was 18 years old. 
You know what she come to find out? That being raised in a Christian home doesn't make you a Christian. So I talked to her about it. And I said, well, honey, tell me a little bit about it. She said, well, Dad, I, I thought I was saved when I was, went to junior camp. But to be honest, I just did what every kid does at nine years old at junior camp. You get saved. And church kids, they figure that out. They, 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 they latch on to that. They're not stupid. And so you go to camp for the first time. What do you do? You get saved. That's what you're supposed to do. And so that's what she did. And she, she lived, as far as I know, not a perfect life, but, but, but lived a, a life that would in no way have given me or her mother any clue that she wasn't saved. But I'm telling you, I'm thankful tonight that she came to that place in her life where she said yes to Jesus and understood that she can't get into heaven by her daddy's coattails. She can't get into heaven because her mom is saved and her brothers are saved. She knew and she finally figured out and understood and God finally bore that truth home to her heart that she had to have her own faith and her own salvation. I'll tell you a little later why I believe beyond any shadow of a doubt that Mark had personally trusted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. But let's take just a moment and and uh, talk about another aspect of Mark's faith, and that is it was a serving faith. Many of you will be familiar with James' words where he said, faith without works is dead. Now, we understand tonight that we don't serve God to be saved. We serve God because we are saved. Service to the Lord does not convey salvation what James is teaching us there is that our service and our, our work for the Lord just confirms our salvation. When Barnabas and Paul left Jerusalem to take up their ministry at Antioch, if you remember, um, they had, had been appointed to take an offering that had been received um, in the church, and they were... They were uh, called upon to, to take that to Jerusalem for the poor saints there. And, and so they took that offering, and, and then they made their way back uh, to Antioch. And the Bible says this in, in Acts chapter 12 and verse 25, that when they left Jerusalem, that they took with them John, whose surname was Mark. And then we come to this in Acts chapter 13. Now there were in the church... It was at Antioch, certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene and Manaen, uh, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. And they ministered to the Lord and fasted. Or excuse me, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed from Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. And when they were at, at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had also John to their minister. So as you look at that tonight, there does not appear to be any special commendation either by the church at Antioch or by the Holy Spirit, as far as Mark's ministry was concerned. It appears that 
that he, was, that he just went along with his uncle Barnabas and, and with Paul either after asking permission to go or by being asked to go. We don't know. It doesn't tell us. So we would say that, that Mark wasn't necessarily called to what we would call today full-time ministry like Barnabas and Paul were or like I have been or others of our ministry staff have been. And by the way, that's okay. That's fine. If you're not called to full-time ministry, that's not a problem. There's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with your church. Uh, it's just the way it is. God calls who he calls. And you, you, you look at the list of people who were serving in the church at Antioch. God didn't call all of them. God said, separate Paul and Barnabas. I have a job for them. I have a ministry for them. And, and the Holy Spirit confirmed that in the church. And they, they sent them out. And I'm telling you, it's okay. You're not a second-rate Christian. You're not, a, you're not a, a second-rate individual if you're not in full-time ministry. I mean, where would this church be if it were not for the ministry of so many of you who serve in, in so many ways, in so many areas, even though you don't feel called to it full-time? I mean, I'm talking about nursery workers, and Sunday school teachers, and children's church workers, and Kids for Christ workers, and bus ministry volunteers, and greeters, and parking lot attendants, and treasurers, and choir members, and sound and, and media volunteers, and fellowship Baptist school staff. And I, I know I've probably forgotten some folks there, so forgive me. You know who you are, and you know what you do, and God knows who you are, and God knows what you do. But I'm telling you tonight, the truth is we could not function without you we couldn't do it I mean you think about on any given Sunday morning like this morning I mean, we had a, a good number of folks in here but what a lot of them don't understand is that we can only do what we do in here because there are a number of people out there and up there doing what they do I get a salary every month for doing what I do. You don't get anything but a pat on the back, and you don't always get that. But you still serve. And thank God for that. Praise the Lord for that. And I know I, I say that on, on behalf of all of our, our ministry staff that, that we are blessed to have you to our minister. Look at that again in verse 5 of uh, Acts chapter, uh, or excuse me, Acts chapter 13. And they had also John to their minister. That, that word there is a, it's a nautical term, really. And it speaks of an under oarsman. Back in the day, they sat down in the bottom of the ship and they, they rowed. And that's what that word is talking about. It's used in reference to those who serve in a subordinate capacity, uh, somebody who is, is under orders, 
So that was Mark's position on the journey with Barnabas and Paul. He was a, an under oarsman, if you will. He was an assistant in the ministry of Paul and Barnabas. But here's, here's the unfortunate part about this story is that he wasn't one for very long. Which brings us to Mark's failure. Look again in verse 13, Acts chapter 13. Now when Paul and his company loosed from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia. And here it is. Here's, here's Mark's failure. John Mark's failure. It says he departed from them and he returned to Jerusalem. For some unknown reason, Mark decided to desert the work of God. And say, well, well, preacher, how do you know it was that bad? Well, I'll show you a little later. Um, it wasn't just a leisurely, uh, you know, it, 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 let me say, it wasn't consensual on the part, at least of Paul. His leaving did not sit well with Paul at all. And, and we'll get to that in a moment. And honestly, any answer, uh, any attempt to try and answer the question of why he left would be purely speculation. And, and so I'll, I'll uh, go out on a limb here and speculate uh, a little bit tonight. Um, there are some who believe that, that he just got homesick and, and maybe he got worried about his mother. And that became overwhelming to him and, and so he left. Others think that it was because of fear. Um, he hadn't journeyed with Paul and Barnabas long, but he, it, I don't think it took long for the, the thrill of it to fade away. I don't think it took long for him to realize this is not a picnic. This is not going to be easy. This is really more than I bargained for, and, and he just had some fear in him. I copied this from uh, one of my commentaries. It said, the road from Perga to Pisidia Antioch, and we'll read about that uh, in our next message in the book of Acts, and there's second, uh, the, the journey there, some 100 miles away was difficult and dangerous. It wound its way through the rugged Taurus Mountains, clinging to cliffs that ascended, to dizzying heights. Travelers also had to cross the turbulent and flood-prone Cestrus and Eurymedon rivers. The Taurus Mountains were notorious for the robber bands who infested them. And then he said this, when Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty six, 26, in journeyings off, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, that he may well have had this very journey in mind. And so as John Mark stepped back, and, and uh, no doubt, if you remember earlier, they had, uh, they had met the sorcerer, and I'm sure that was an eye-opener for John Mark as he saw what went on there and, and saw how Paul handled that. And, and maybe in his mind, he's thinking, ah, that's not what I bargained for. 
Yeah, demon-possessed dudes and robbers and floods and wild animals. I Listen, I'm, I'm just not, I'm not in for that. I'm out of here. Maybe it was fear. Maybe that's why he turned back. One, one writer said this. He just got tired of being the gopher. You ever been there? You ever been a gopher? You ever been a low guy on the totem pole? You just go for this, you go for that, and you go for whatever they tell you to go for. Maybe he just got tired of that. Maybe he thought he deserved more. Maybe he thought he, he deserved uh, more responsibility or, or whatever. It, it could have been any number of these things, or it could have been something totally different. Nobody knows anything other than he was not faithful to keep his commitment. And can I say this tonight? As aggravating and frustrating as that was, especially to Paul. Can I, can I just be your pastor for a moment and say that it's equally frustrating to your pastor and to your ministry staff when that happens? Now listen, I, I could, really, could really go to seed on this right now. Because I'll be honest with you, it, it's, it's become somewhat of an epidemic it seems around here and it is frustrating and it is aggravating and I could clear off a spot over here and spend the next 30 minutes just browbeating you I'm not going to do that I, I want to be I want to be loving tonight but I also want to want to help you understand and we're thankful for your ministry and and I know you volunteer I get all of that none of that is lost on me but you also have to understand that when somebody says, yes, I'll do that, or without even being asked, they volunteer to do whatever, and then they don't do it, that puts a huge burden on your pastor and your pastor's wife and your ministry staff. I'm just being honest with you tonight. Is that okay? I'm not mad at anybody. I just think it's something that we could work on and something we could be better at. And listen, we totally get that life happens. Life happens to all of us. Life happens to your pastor. Life happens to your pastor's wife. Life happens to your ministry staff. We live life like you live life. And sometimes life happens at the most inconvenient times. Sometimes life happens at the very last minute. It's not anything that you are responsible for. It's just life. And I get that. And my wife gets that. And our staff get that. But more times than not, it's not something that's happened suddenly, that's, that's caught somebody by surprise and doesn't allow them to follow through with their commitment. So many times, honestly... It's just a lack of seriousness on the part of those who say yes. It's kind of like, well, yeah, I just didn't have time. I, I just couldn't do it. I'm sorry. Well, what are we supposed to do? At that point, we can't like take out a gun and go, Pop! we just have to say, okay, it's cool. No problem. All right, we got it. And then we go away thinking, I ain't got time for this. Ain't nobody got time for this. And if they would have just told me two weeks ago when they knew two weeks ago they weren't going to do it, 
You with me? If they would have just told us, or even when we asked them, if they just would have said no, that would have been fine. Or if they wouldn't have just stepped forward and volunteered, that would have been great. But now here we are, and no sense whining and crying about it. You just, you just add it to the list. <laughs> I'll tell you how bad it is. I mean, you, you ask any staff member about this, it's almost to the point when you ask some people, you've already got a contingency plan in the back of your mind. And you think at some point, we'll think, well, quit asking. But you like to give people an opportunity to serve, people an opportunity to be a blessing. So don't be a mark. Are we okay with that? Just, just don't be a mark. Keep your word, follow through with your commitments, do what you say you'll do. And if you know two weeks down the road that you're not going to be able to do it, let somebody know. I would remind you of what Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes 5. He said, keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they consider not that they do evil. Be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven, and thou upon earth. Therefore let thy words be few, when thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to keep it. For he hath no pleasure in fools, pay that which thou hast vowed. Better is it, look at this, better is it that thou shouldest not vow, than that thou shouldest vow and not pay. And by the way, church is not the only place that suffers from unfaithfulness and a lack of, of commitment. When that stuff happens at home, it hurts the home. When that stuff happens in the workplace, it affects the workplace. When that stuff happens in our community, when, when you volunteer for, for service, uh, various service organizations and things and, and don't follow through with commitments and, and aren't a responsible member of, of that organization, listen, it's not good. It's not a good testimony. It's not a good reflection upon you personally. It's not a good reflection upon the, the ministry of your church. And the same when, when a person's irresponsible at work. It's just not a good testimony and so we ought to be careful about that we still friends let me see if i can get the other half are we still friends thank you acts chapter 15 the next time mark shows up is here look at verse 36 we'll get to this in our study but i wanted to show it to you tonight and some days after paul said unto barnabas let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. And Barnabas determined to take with them who? Who? John, whose surname was Mark. So Barnabas says, oh, Paul has a great idea. Hey, let me, let me go get John. <laughs> Verse 38, but Paul thought not good to take him with them who departed from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. So Paul's still chapped about that. 
And he's still irritated about that. And the contention, look at this, the contention was so sharp between them. That's why I said earlier, well, preacher, you don't know, maybe, maybe John had a good excuse. Paul thought his excuse stunk. Whatever it was, it wasn't a good one. And Paul said, I'm paraphrasing here, ain't no way. There, it's not happening. We are not taking that quitter with us again. We're not taking that loser with us again. We're not going to get out there and have him bail on us again. It's not happening. I'm sorry, Barnabas. I know you're a softie, but it's not happening. I'm telling you, it's not happening. And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder from the other. Now, now listen, this is Paul and Barnabas. These are two guys who were tight. These were two guys who served together, who went through danger together, who did everything in the ministry together. God called them both into the ministry at the very same time. They were commissioned by the church at Antioch to go out and do the work of the Lord at the very same time. These were buddies But this thing with John was such a big deal that they parted ways. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed unto Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren under the grace of God. So how many of you agree with me, preachers, that that's a big deal? Absolutely. Absolutely it's a big deal. Paul was not of the opinion that the work of God was a do it when you can, if you can, as you can kind of thing. No, 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 no. In Paul's mind, he expected Mark to be every bit as committed to the task as he was. Now, it would be a lousy end to an otherwise promising life of service to the Lord if Mark's story ended right here. Would you agree? That would be like a real downer. That would be a bummer. It would be a lousy end to the story. But it's not the end of the story. Moses failed when he disregarded the plan of God, and God used a sign, a burning bush, to get his attention and to restore him to service. Jonah failed when he disobeyed the word of God, and God used a storm to get his attention and restore him to service. Peter failed when he denied the Son of God and God used a sound, the the crowing of a rooster, to get his attention and eventually restore him to service. John Mark failed when he deserted the work of God. And God used a servant named Barnabas to get his attention and restore him to service. Now, is there anyone here tonight that is surprised that Barnabas did that. 
Is there anybody here that's surprised that Barnabas took Mark's side and came alongside Mark and helped him get back on his feet and restored him to service? If you've been with us in this study of the book of Acts, that should not surprise you one bit because that's who Barnabas was. That's the heart that he had. That's what he did. That's where he was so different than the Apostle Paul. As a matter of fact, if you remember, when Paul was Saul, he's on the road to Damascus, the Lord shows up, he's saved. You remember when he went to Jerusalem and the Bible says he tried to join himself to the church, but they weren't having any of it? And they weren't buying this story that I, I saw the Lord and I've been changed. <laughs> no, 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 no. We were born at night, son, but we weren't born last night. We're not buying into that. And we know, we know what you're wanting. You're wanting to get in here and you're wanting to kind of surveil things a little bit. And, and, and you're wanting to come back in here and you're wanting to wreak havoc in this church. And we're not going to have any of it. We're not touching you with a 10-foot pole. No way, no how. You remember that part? The book of Acts? And what does it say? It says that Barnabas came alongside of him and said, listen, this guy's okay. This guy's all right. This morning I was going to preach out of Acts chapter 16 before the Lord changed all of that. And we were going to talk about the Holy Spirit and, and, and how he's called our comforter. We're going to talk a lot about the comforter part. We're going to talk more about the convicting ministry of the Holy Spirit. And we'll get to that in a couple of weeks. The word, the word there is, is uh, parakletos. And it's one who comes alongside another. And that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And he comes alongside us. And he actually comes in us and helps us and comforts us and guides us, convicts us. The same word when, when it says that Barnabas was a son of consolation, the same Greek word is used there for consolation that is used for the Holy Spirit because Barnabas practiced the same ministry of coming alongside John Mark and, and helping him and encouraging him and urging him along and loving on him and, 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 and helping him get back to where he needed to be. Tonight I say this, thank God for the Barnabases in our lives who do not give up on us when we fail. Because Mark had Barnabas in his life. He was eventually restored to usefulness in the Lord's work and was able to finish well. Let me show you some scriptures real quick and we'll wrap it up tonight. When Paul wrote to the Colossians, he urged them to receive Mark, or Marcus as it is here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, saluteth you, and Marcus, sister's son, to Barnabas. In Philemon 24, Mark is called a fellow worker. And then we have 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 11, and of course Paul is getting toward the end of his life, and he's writing, and he says, only Luke is with me. Take who? Which Mark? 
John Mark, the same Mark who Paul said, I'm not going to have anything to do with this kid anymore. Over the course of time, because Barnabas was willing to come alongside of him and love on him and encourage him, here we are now at the end of the life of Paul who said, I don't want to have anything to do with him. Here he is writing. And he says, take Mark and bring him with thee. And listen to this. For he is profitable to me for the ministry. And before his life ended, Mark authored what we read today as the book of Mark. And that's why I believe beyond any shadow of a doubt that Mark was a saved man. His gospel account of the life of the Lord is a testament to his love for Jesus. So what can we take away tonight from, from this part of Mark's life as far as church life is concerned in the 21st century? I have three things real quick if you want to jot them down. The first one's kind of on a negative note. We take from this story that unfaithfulness and irresponsibility are both very detrimental to the work of the Lord. Here's what Solomon said in Proverbs 25, 19. Confidence in an unfaithful man in a time of trouble is like a broken tooth and a foot out of joint. It's very painful. It it hinders the work of the Lord. And then on a more positive note, here's the second takeaway tonight. We're reminded yet again that no failure is final. Amen. Thank God for grace. No failure is final. And then thirdly, we take this away. Those who have failed in their walk with the Lord can always use a Barnabas. You know, there are some of us who are such a personality that we probably relate to Paul more than we relate to Barnabas. It's who we are. I'm not saying it's right, but it, it's, it's who we are. And it's like, well, write them off. And there's some of you here tonight, you're, you're more of the persuasion of a Barnabas. And you know, it could be a great ministry for you to come alongside somebody who's quit on the Lord, somebody who's fallen away from church, somebody who's walking on the edge, and you can just see in, in their life, in their church attendance, in their ministry involvement, and, and, and where they sit in church, you can just tell that they're on their way out. And you come alongside them, either in person or with a text message or an email or a note. And you never know what that little bit of encouragement is going to do for them. Because in their heart, here's what they're thinking. I say this because I've heard it a number of times. Well, I didn't think anybody at church cared for me. I didn't think anybody at church would even know I wasn't there. Nobody would even, even care if I was there. And by touching bases with them, you've let them know that that's not the case at all. 
that they are loved and that they are needed because everybody is somebody in the body. Amen? Let's pray.